Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Anyway, welcome everyone. This is, I believe, episode 57. Um, this is June 9th, and you're watching the Modernize or Die podcast CFML News Edition. I'm not used to having to talk this much. Usually I can just kind of zone out and let, you know, Gavin carry the show. And I'm like, oh, wait, am I on a live podcast? But I can't do that today. Uh, or I could, it'd be, it'd be really awkward. So um, thank you to our uh, sponsor, Order Solutions. Uh, if you need live training for the maker of your favorite box products, Live virtual workshops are available for sign up in June. Um, a lot of the workshops that we originally had planned for into the box we're doing over the course of June. Uh, more will be announced soon. Also, cfcasts.com is up and running with all of the Into the Box 2020 videos. Um, as well, uh, looks like we have a new Patreon supporter, Charlie Earhart. So we're at the 48% mark for fully funding our Modernize or Die podcast via the Patreon site. It's patreon.com slash order solutions. So if you love our podcast and what we do for the Confusion and CFML community, please consider chipping in. We are getting close to our full goal of being able to fund our podcast and doing everything that we want to do, like going to the beach. Okay, so this will probably be a lot shorter uh, episode because I'm not here to sit here and, uh, and annoy uh, Gavin with all my chatter. I actually have to be the person who sticks to the script. I know it doesn't sound very fun. Uh, so news and events, um, Cold Fusion Meetup. We haven't had a Cold Fusion Meetup in a little while. Uh, the online meetups are run by uh, Charlie and uh, used to have almost weekly meetings, I think, there, and it kind of petered out mostly just due to lack of uh, available speakers, unfortunately. So I, I saw this come across Twitter the other day. Uh, low code for the Cold Fusion developer. What is it and why should you care? By Andrew Duthie or Duthie? I don't know if I recognize uh, that person, but it sounds rather interesting. There's the link in the chat for our live viewers. Uh, it says, we're happy to announce another session of online Confusion Meetup. Um, and it's going to be Thursday, June 11th. So that's in two days from now. And that is at 12 p.m. Eastern time. I know that the Confusion Meetup site has a, a behavior where it, it's, they, they will all, always show you the time in a certain time zone. So people will look at that site and they'll think it's their time zone. But it's 12 p.m. Eastern. So that should be... Um, I hate doing time zones in my head. <laughs> I think that should be um, 11 Central and 9 uh, Western Pacific time. Jeez, I don't do time zones in my head. It's, 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 it's noon Eastern. You figure it out. You figure it out. Um, I'm curious if there's any further description on this whole low code. Um, here we go. Topic description provided by the speaker. Uh, Confusion developers know what it means to be productive, data-driven, uh, websites, solutions, blah, blah, blah. Start hearing about low code. So apparently this is a phrase that's been going around. I guess I've been under a rock. Maybe your company's decided to try it out. Maybe it's something you've asked about. Listen to your analysts. Low code is a growing segment of the IT market. Market shaping up to be tens of billions of dollars. Okay, so Charlie just says he's not a CF guy and it's not really a CF talk. Um, interesting. So it's more of a generic talk, but he's kind of uh, sort of applying it to, uh, to cold fusion. Interesting. So low code. All right. Well, um, whatever this low code approach is, it sounds pretty interesting. So that is the, um, the cold fusion meetup again, June 11th and two days, 12 PM Eastern. 
Um, okay, and Charlie also has a note here in the chat. For meetup uh, time zones, if you visit the site, coldfusionmeetup.com, it'll tell you the time in your own time zone. Awesome. You may need to log in for that to happen. Excelente. Okay, um, quick reminder, uh, the State of the CF Union Survey is still going on. It hasn't been um, officially closed yet, so make sure you go and vote for our podcast, um, the State of the CF Union Survey. Um, we really like the survey. It gives us a lot of good data about usage and trends in the cold fusion community. And I even used uh, a lot of data from the survey in our end of the box keynote that we had just a few weeks back. Uh, so there's the survey. Uh, you can also find the partial results, which uh, let's see, let me see how many uh, respondents it shows. I think it usually has the number somewhere on here. Where does it say how many people have replied? Or if not replied, but filled out the survey. Uh, 479 as of right now. So there's almost 500 people that have filled out the survey, which is pretty cool. Um, if you uh, uh, just Google State of the CF Union 2020 partial results, you can find the, the blog post that has the, the results so far. So uh, it's pretty interesting to read through that. I also like how the survey partial results show the typed in little text boxes. People can type stuff. There's oftentimes a lot of interesting stuff in there. Obviously, it's all um, anonymous if you want to fill out the survey and add some notes of your own. Okie dokie. Um, ooh, Charlie just mentioned in the chat he has some more CF Meetup talks lined up in a couple weeks. So he's, quote, getting the band back together, end quote. I love to see that. I love to see those online CF Meetup talks. So I'm sure we'll cover those um, soon as uh, Charlie announces them. As far as conferences, uh, the Adobe Cold Fusion Developer Week recordings and slides are now available. So uh, this is at uh, coldfusion.adobe.com. Let me grab this link for our live viewers. We'll be in the show notes, of course. Um, so it says, thank you for everyone who joined the Cold Fusion Developer Week. Um, Adobe would like to thank their speakers, um, taking their time to share knowledge in the community. So they have the recordings and all the slides. It looks like it does require registration. So if you uh, want to be able to see all of those recordings of the Adobe Cold Fusion Developer Week, then those are up now. Into the Box 2020 workshops. We pushed our workshops um, back that we were going to do live and in person into the box. So we're kind of spreading out, spreading those out over the month of June. Um, it looks like we just finished the uh, Cold Box Zero to Hero workshop. Gavin led that one. That was June 4th and 5th. So um, I hear that went great. I don't think anybody like threw rotten tomatoes at Gavin while he was talking. Um, so that is uh, a plus. It looks like the next one coming up is our um, Cold Box Hero to Superhero, which is going to be June 18th and 19th. Um, Luis is uh, leading that one. Hopefully that will all still be going as planned. So if you haven't had a chance to sign up for that, um, this is uh, two six-hour days. So it's just two back-to-back -back days. I think they usually do three hours lunch, then three hours. Um, so essentially uh, 9 to 12 Central. Um, it's 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Um, after the lunch. So uh, the tickets are available for that. That is the Cold Box Hero to Superhero. So Gavin's was kind of the intro the zero um, to hero. If you're already a hero, um, Luis can turn you into a superhero. So there's the link in the chat. Uh, please check that out. Um, I don't know exactly how many people we have registered so far, but there is um, a limit. I think we also have a, uh, 
a discount code you can get, which is podcast10, podcast10. Um, and then if you were an into-the-box attendee, um, I think you should have um, the ability to get a 15% off. I'm not exactly sure what you have to do to get that 15% off, um, but that's what my show notes say. So if you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off with the podcast10 discount code. If you're an into-the-box attendee, um, you can get 15% off. Okay. Looking forward to those um, workshops. I'm kind of bummed that I don't get to be, you know, a part of the workshops because being in the live workshops is always so much fun when they're, uh, when they're online. We don't get to actually see people's bright and shining faces other than the, um, the other side of their webcam. Uh, if you weren't into the box attendee, I think the, um, uh, the 15% discount code should have been emailed um, out to you. So if you're an into the box attendee and you didn't get that email, um, let us know. Okay. Um, CF Summit West, I don't think anything's really changed in regards to this. This is the, uh, the Vegas um, conference. This still says on the site, uh, October 28th and 29th, the Mirage Hotel, but I don't, I don't think any additional information has come out. So it appears that it's still kind of in a holding pattern. I would love, love for it to, uh, to go on in person, um, but we'll see. There hasn't been anything new there. So I guess keep those dates blocked out. We'll let you guys know as soon as we know anything about um, Cold Fusion Summit in Vegas. Also, Cold Fusion Camp, as far as I know, there is no um, additional information that has come out um, as far as confirming it happening or it being canceled. Uh, so, again, unfortunately, that Cold Fusion Conference is in a holding pattern as well. And if you're looking for conferences to check out that aren't necessarily Cold Fusion Conferences, you can go to confs.confs.tech. And that has just all sorts of, um, of conferences you can find all around the world, actually. Okay, so enough about conferences that are all canceled. Uh, let's jump into our blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. We have a blog from Kishore from Adobe, um, which is just simply saying the Cold Fusion Developer Week recordings are available. So I talked about that. Those recordings are up, the slide decks are up, and Kishore has blogged about it. We also have um, a blog from Ben Nadell showing the effects of database index structure on a membership table join performance in MySQL 5.6.37. Interesting. I don't think I've even seen this one yet. Let's see what he's talking about here. Oh. I try to share my screen and then my Zoom decides to randomly minimize windows on me. Okay, I think I had this, uh, this shared. Uh, so here's uh, Ben's blog post. Looks like he has an example here showing a series of um, tables, club, club membership user, and he has a nice little example that shows how to create those, and then, okay, so he's going through a bunch of different index joins. This is always sort of an interesting thing. Oh, he's, and he's showing how to use explain plan. Um, see, I've always been a bit of a SQL server guy, so I'm always, I've always been more comfortable uh, troubleshooting joins in SQL server. And one thing that I need to learn more about is how the explain stuff works in MySQL. It looks like this is what Ben is kind of jumping into. So this is a pretty cool looking blog post. A lot of times people well, a lot of times people don't tune <laughs> their SQL queries at all. Other times they kind of tune by guessing. They just sort of create random indexes in random places and they see how that works. 
Um, but I like what he's shown here, actually kind of looking at the explain for the select, seeing how it's working, um, and then trying to uh, capture some indexes that will actually help that specific plan. Wow, that's a pretty long post. Okay. Well, if you have any questions about how to um, uh, optimize the uh, the joins in your SQL Server indexes, then you can check out that post from Ben Nadell. And I have to find my show notes again. Gotta love how uh, every time I every time I share my screen, uh, Zoom here that I'm using today decides to completely rearrange all my windows. Thank you, Zoom. There we go. Let me grab the URL for Ben's post. All right, that was harder than it should have been. Okay, we also have um, a blog here on the Fusion Reactor blog, Object-Oriented Programming, What is Inheritance, Polymorphism, Abstraction, and Encapsulation? Interesting. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen a sort of uh, general purpose overview of, um, of object-oriented programming. I'm not even going to try to share my screen. Sorry, Zoom just makes that too painful. I'm not gonna do it. Um, so here we go, uh, looks like this was written by uh, Neil from the uh, Fusion Reactor team. So it's got a whole little kind of deep dive into object-oriented programming. I think a lot, of, uh, a lot of languages sort of take some of the stuff for granted. You know, if you're a, a Java developer, you kind of live in this stuff all day long. I think it's, it's always been the case that many cold Fusion developers who possibly didn't get a, a sort of, you know, a proper computer science degree in college, but maybe just kind of came, brought their way into cold fusion from a design career or from, you know, an HTML knowledge. Sometimes don't always uh, understand some of these basics of object oriented development. So this is actually a really good looking overview. Here's talking about inheritance, cap encapsulization, uh, abstraction, polymorphism. It's always a good day when you can use the word polymorphism. There we go. Well, that's a cool post. And that, just came out on June 3rd on the Fusion Reactor blog. Polymorphism related to CFML? You'll have to read the blog post, John. <laughs> All right, what do we have here? Uh, James Moberg has a blog entry. Um, converting Unicode symbols and punctuation to ASCII. Uh, this is something I've definitely had to do before. You get those uh, smart quotes and smart everything that you get in Microsoft Word. Um, products and unfortunately those can give you some weird character encoding issues especially if you work at a place that has to integrate with like a, a mainframe like an AS400 or some kind of legacy database that doesn't do all those Unicode characters you've got to go through and try to replace all the special quotes with just the standard quotes um, so it looks like he has a function that's basically just a huge list of replaces that searches for all these special characters um, and then just replaces them with just like the basic like apostrophe or quotation mark or hyphen. Uh, this is a definitely a useful looking function. Sometimes you don't need it. When you need it, you definitely need it. I used to work at a place and we had a job that would pipe data from our ColdFusion SQL Server into an AS400 IBM2 database. And let me tell you, just a single Microsoft Word smart quote would just blow the whole job up which also means the job wasn't written very well, but we had to have a big giant function just like this that would try to clean up all the data. Uh, so excellent post on uh, Jeeves Moberg's blog, and this is actually super um, uh, 
not deep, but he like really goes in. He has a whole table of every single uh, character and what it is like the Latin letter dental click. Wow. Never even heard of it, but it looks like he replaces it with a pipe. It's amazing how many of these Unicode characters there are. All right. Cool post by James Moberg. He always has uh, pretty handy stuff there. Okay, next up we have another Ben Nadel. Deserialized JSON silently fails on high precision numbers in Lucy CFML. Say it isn't so. Let's take a quick look at this guy. And this, uh, Ben always puts the version of Lucy in the blog title, which is kind of handy. A lot of times, uh, I think at Ben's work, they've been still using Lucy 5.2. I don't know if that's still the case. Um, at home, Ben's been playing with newer versions of Lucy. So whenever he has um, an observation or a, an issue he finds in Lucy, he always uh, puts the the title of the, um, I'm sorry, not the title, the version of the Lucy that he's using in the blog post title, so you know. So it looks like, uh, let's see if I can look at his little example. Oh, wow. So he has an example JSON payload where he has some crazy floating point numbers, like 1.0000, like 20 zeros, one. So it's a big floating point number. And then he deserializes it. And let's see what it does. Interesting. So the first numbers it deserializes into actual numeric data types. And at a certain point, it starts turning them into strings. Hmm. I wonder if that's a bug or a feature. <laughs> So the, the JSON started, everything was a number, and Lucy uh, started turning things into strings. I'm guessing that once the, the numbers got big enough, they couldn't be stored in a normal like double or something. Is probably when Lucy started just treating them as strings. But that could obviously um, change some behavior of your application, potentially, um, if you expected those to actually be numbers. Mm, ben says he doesn't believe it's a bug, but Ben always says that. Ben's always so afraid to tell people that's a bug. And I'm like, that's a bug! I don't know, I'd have to look at it. A lot of times you, you, you ask the developers and they explain why it does that. Looks like in another example, Ben has, um, to keep them all as numbers, they just round. Floating point stuff is always a bit of a, bit of a pain. I was just working last week with some code with a client and they had just really simple math operations that, you know, so is this number greater than this number? And it seemed pretty obvious. And then the, you know, the if statement would decide the wrong thing. And when you, it was tricky is you dump out the numbers and they look like the, the real number. But if you actually check the data type of the number and use like the two string method on the Java object, you'll realize it's actually got like a bunch of zeros with a one at the end. Um, and that's because it was a result of a floating point operation. So. These floating point things are always interesting. So there's that uh, blog post on Ben the Dell. If you're storing uh, floating point numbers in JSON, you can read what he had to say about that. Um, here we also have a blog from Matthew Clemente. This one came out June 4th. Uh, Fat Arrow Function Support in Lucy 5 and Adobe Cold Fusion 2018. I'm really loving the Fat Arrows. I love me some Fat Arrows. The more, the more I've used them, the more I've gotten used to how they look. The first few times I used them, they just looked weird and wrong because I was used to the very kind of verbose, you know, function, parentheses, curly brace. I've really gotten to where I like them. Adobe Cold Fusion 2018 released the Fat Arrows in Update 5. They were pretty buggy. They fixed all the bugs I reported in Update 6. Thank you, Adobe. Um, Lucy's Fat Arrow function has one outstanding issue, uh, which I find rather annoying and it's out there in the Lucy ticket tracker. 
Um, so it looks like he's just going through with a bunch of kind of examples of how they work, testing them out, using them with the map, map operator. And then, oh, here he goes. He has a, Matthew has a link to that, that uh, Lucy ticket at the very bottom under Lucy issues. Uh, maybe some more people comment on that. Uh, they'll get that one fixed. Nice little post on the arrow functions. I know there's a good deal of people in the confusion community that are still a little just not necessarily confused or weirded out, but still getting used to the idea of functional programming and all the, the map and reduce and each kind of stuff that accept closures. Um, if that's not something they're used to people coming from like a JavaScript background or a big node background, this is like, Oh yeah, we use this every day. I eat closures for breakfast. Um, so the fat error functions are either super familiar for people coming uh, from Node and used to ES6, or they're like, wait, I'm already confused by closures. What is this crazy error syntax you're giving me? Um, but Matthew Clemente's blog looks like a nice little overview on that. It's also a reference to a new Lucy ticket that I was um, excited to see. The CF execute tag has some major limitations in, in CFML to begin with, but it looks like Lucy is finally um, added the ability to set the working directory. Um, so CF execute lets you run just a native binary, but one thing you can't do is control the directory it runs from. So let's say you wanted to run uh, an NPM install from you know CF execute. You can't just, if, if you just throw the CF execute tag in and say run the command NPM install, the working directory it runs in will probably be whatever the default working directory is of the Java process that the server's a part of, which is likely not in the folder you want to run it. So you have to usually put it in, in a batch file and you know CD into the directory. Um, it's really a shame that such a basic feature, uh, like controlling the working directory, which is incredibly easy to do from the Java APIs, um, has never been added to the CF execute tag. Um, I gave up on using CF execute a long time ago, and I always recommend using Process Builder, which is what um, command box uses. When you run native binaries in command box, I do not use CF execute is far too limiting. I use the process builder, which is actually, it's been around forever and it supersedes the runtime.exec method that the CF execute uses. Um, it's just a thousand times better. But anyway, I'm, I'm still happy to see CF execute become slightly less crappy. Uh, maybe next they can add the ability to control environment variables as well, which is another thing CF execute uh, doesn't do. But anyway, uh, Zach Spitzer pointed out that Lucy um, ticket. If you use CF execute to do any kind of, you know, manipulation that is dependent on the current directory it's in, uh, that can be pretty handy. Uh, what would also be nice now is for someone to see if there's an Adobe ticket in to match that functionality as well, because it has the same problem. All right, here we have some uh, love from Brian Class beyond the basics using AWS S3 and CFML. Use different storage classes to save money. Brian Class is just an expert on all of this AWS stuff. Um, and he has a lot of good things about it, a lot of good presentations. He posted this on June 2nd. It says, S3 offers a ridiculous level of durability. It's just ridiculous. I can't even believe the nerve of AWS to have so much durability. Who do they think they are? Um, Ooh, look at this. Amazon has developed formal proof of correctness algorithms. That's pretty cool. Proof of correctness. I wish I had a proof of correctness. I'm debating with somebody and they're like, how do I know you're correct? I'm like, oh, I have proof of correctness. Because apparently Amazon has it. 
Um, so storage classes. Okay, so S3 isn't expensive, but there's other ways to save money. Um, look at this, standard, infrequent access, intelligent tiering, S3 one zone, glacier, glacier deep archive. Wow, so the only two I had ever heard of was standard, just the S3 standard, and then the glacier stuff, which I knew was a bit slower, but cheaper. But yeah, there's a ton of storage classes. Glacier deep archive. So if you have like backups that you pretty much are never going to have to access, you know, you don't, you don't mind taking like what one to 12 hour retrieval time. A file can only be requested twice per year. Wow. But it's hecka cheap too. 0.00099 cents per gigabyte as opposed to 0.023 cents per gigabyte. So yeah, if you have data you almost never access, you can have some hecka cheap storage. Awesome. Well, if you use an S3, check out this blog post from Brian Class. Like I said, he always just knows everything there is about how ridiculous S3 is. Um, all right. John Farrar mentioned in the chat something about JSON schema coming to Lucy. Let me see if that's in my show notes at all. No, it's not. I, I was vaguely aware of that, um, but only because I'm subscribed to the Lucy um, organization in GitHub. So anytime a new repository is created, I get an email that says, hey, you've been subscribed to the repository. Um, and I saw one that was created for JSON extension. Um, and I was talking with Pete Freitag about it. And we were, we were, we were saying, is, is JSON going to be ripped out into extension? And then looking into it, we saw that there was some JSON schema support being added, but it was like a, a, a jar of several megabytes that I'm sure Misha didn't want to add into the core. Um, so we added it as an extension. Um, if, you, uh, if you have a link to that blog post, John, we'll add it into the show notes for next week um, to cover it. Put that in the chat. Because, yes, I'm a little curious about that. Of course, I, I do also think it's a bit funny um, that, you know, in my mind, it was always if you want schema validation and super kind of pedantic strictness, use XML. JSON was like the loosey goosey. Yeah, do whatever you want, man. It's JSON. You know, want a property? Add a property. Want to delete a property? Delete a property. Um, so it's almost a little funny when I see you know people building schema validation on top of JSON. Since you know, to me, it was always like, what are you talking about, man? This is JSON. We don't validate nothing here. Um, but you know, I appreciate it. There's probably people who. Um, uh, prefer the the, the, the the transmission format of JSON over XML for obvious reasons, but they still want to have the, the validation. So I understand that. Um, John Farrar has also posted a, a link here in the chat for the live viewers, uh, jsonschema.org. I had to approve your link, John. YouTube said, no, it's spam. And I had to click show. Oh, we also have a blog from Computer Know How. I don't hear from those guys very often. Throw that link in the chat. What do we have? JavaScript, an intro to iterative tools and data management. Let's see what this blog post is about. The uh, computer know-how team is a, a cold fusion shop, but I know they do a lot of JavaScript. Looks like my buddy Nathaniel Francis did this post. Nice data types. In the beginning, the for loop. Array methods. Looks like a lot of this is probably something you could um, you could apply to ColdFusion programming as well, even though he's covering um, JavaScript stuff. But for instance, his array.every example would be array.each in, in ColdFusion. Overall, it looks like a pretty nice uh, kind of introduction on sort of just functional programming on a lot of data structures inside of JavaScript. Looks like a pretty cool uh, blog post. There's a lot of examples in there. 
So again, that was from computer know-how, JavaScript, intro, and iterative tools. All right, well, that concludes the section on our um, blogs, tweets, and videos of the week into the CFML jobs. Uh, there's several positions available on getcfmljobs.com. It's listing over 39 ColdFusion positions and 29 companies across 18 locations in five countries. So this is a, uh, a worldwide search. The Get CFML Jobs goes out and spiders all of the job sites out there, pulls them in, consolidates them. If you're a ColdFusion developer, check it out. So two new jobs this week. Uh, Full-time ColdFusion software engineer at Washington, D.C., Posted two days ago on June 7th. Let's see, is this a government job? It says DC. Ooh. Hold on while I mute my laptop. It's being noisy. Quit being noisy, laptop. I'm trying to do a podcast. Uh, let's see here. Washington, DC. The company's Human Touch LLC. Human Touch. Department of Navy. There we go. Responsibilities include being able to walk on a tightrope, balance on your hands, and juggle. Oh, wait, no, sorry. Um, define requirements to adequately scope propose, independently support, blah, blah, blah. You always tell the ones that are written by an HR department because they're super vague and generic. Um, support automation. I'm waiting for the stuff that has anything to do with Cold Fusion. Five or more years Cold Fusion experience prior knowledge of Department of Navy Industrial Budget Information System. Ugh, seems kind of specific, but hey, that applies to you. If you even know what the heck the D-O-N-I-B-I-S is, this job's for you. Um, need to know Oracle and JavaScript. There you go. Shall be a U.S. citizen and possess an active DOD secret personnel security clearance. That probably disqualifies a few people. Also, we have full-time senior cold fusion developer at Falls Church, Virginia. Is one of our new postings. What do we have? Responsible for implementing cold fusion-based applications. What do they expect from you? You're going to do a bunch of stuff. Undergraduate degree, minimum five years development, U.S. citizenship. There you go. Senior Confusion Developer in Virginia. All right, so check out uh, getcfmljobs.com for all the latest and greatest Confusion jobs. Unfortunately, it looks like the two, the two new ones this week are only for U.S. citizens, but they oftentimes have a lot of stuff um, around there as well. Also, uh, CF Web Tools is always looking for developers. Um, they're growing again, looking for one, possibly two senior Confusion developers to join their staff. Uh, their post here says uh, their group is close-knit, dynamic, and knowledgeable. Uh, here are a few things you should know. So here's a link to a blog post on uh, ColdFusionMuse.com. I think that's Mark Kruger's blog, is it not? I'm looking here to try to confirm. Yeah, Mark Kruger. That's what I thought. All right, so there's a post uh, talking about CF Web Tools. So I know they do a lot of uh, consulting stuff. I think most of them work remote maybe. I'm not actually sure, but uh, CF Web Tools has been around for a while. If you're looking for a job, you can hit them up as well. So moving on to our ForgeBox um, module of the week, we have the Command Box Banner Hack. He's hacking the Command Box Banner by Matthew Clemente. Uh, so this was created in one of Matthew's live streams. Uh, a few weeks back, he 
was going through command box, writing custom modules, um, interacting with settings, creating commands, and he kind of baked them all together in an example where he wrote a module for command box that allowed you to hack um, the banner. So, uh, put the link to this uh, package here. This is probably less of a module you would want to use in real life and more of an example module you might want to watch his live streams, check out the code, um, see what he's done. So why would you want to use this? His initial use of this was for a presentation. He wanted demos and screenshots um, to display custom banner text in the CLI. And uh, his more likely reason for creating the module was just for fun. If you want to play with it, it's box install, command box, hyphen banner, hyphen hack. Um, running the following commands to hack your banner text, be sure to run reload to see the updated banner. So that's a, a fun uh, module you can use to customize your command box CLI, and more importantly, the code is all out there on GitHub, as well as his live stream recordings on YouTube. So you can kind of see how we did that and use it as a springboard for maybe some ideas you have on customizing command box. <clears throat> okay, our VS Code hint, tip, and trick of the week. Let's see here. I'm not even familiar with the settings sync by Shan Khan. Interesting. Let's see here. Click our little linkity link. I'd share my screen, but I'm not going to do that again. Synchronize settings, snippets, themes, file icons, launch, key bindings, workspaces, and extensions across multiple machines using GitHub Gist. Interesting. So if you have different machines that you use VS Code on and you want to be able to sync your settings, you can use this extension, previously known as Visual Code Studio Settings Sync. Looks like he just renamed it to Settings Sync. Uh, use your GitHub account token and gist, easy to upload, download one click, shows a summary page, auto download latest settings on startup, auto upload settings on file change. This is pretty cool. I like this, so it looks like whatever setting you change last, becomes the setting that the other machines pull in. You know, the first thing I want to do is like get two computers and change the setting at the exact same time and see who wins. What will happen? Uh, there's even some shortcuts. This looks like a pretty handy module for, or not module, extension for anyone who's using VS Code on more than one machine and wants to have their settings the same. In fact, I think that would apply to me because I, I get really used to my shortcuts um, that I have in Builder or VS Code or whatever I'm using and then I switch over to my laptop and I go to try to comment a line of code. I'm like, ah, my shortcuts aren't the same. Um, in, in Builder, you could always export your settings into like a file and you had to copy that file over to your other computer and then you could import them. Uh, it worked, but it wasn't very pretty and you had to do it every time. I really like this sort of on the fly synchronicity. Okay, um, it looks like there's a note here that says, for VS Code Insiders, official settings sync will automatically have access to theme settings within GitHub code spaces. So is this a additional feature? I don't know what VS Code Insiders is. And the download link doesn't actually tell me. Um, interesting. This looks like maybe this is an alternative to the extension. I'm not sure. Either way, the links will all be in the show notes. Well, that's all we have for today. This is our like shortest podcast yet, even though I went for almost 40 minutes. Without Gavin here to slow me down and get in the way, I'm just like, grease lightning, right? I'm just kidding. I'm the one that makes it slower. Gavin could probably do this in like 20 minutes without me. 
Okay, uh, so uh, this brings us to the part where I get to butcher all of our Patreon supporter names. So these individuals are personally supporting our open source initiatives to ensure the great toolings like Command Box, Forge Box, Cold Box, Test Box, Box Box, Beach Box, Palm Tree Box, Sky Box, Cloud Box, all the boxes um, continue going. So big thanks to Ben Nadell, Carl von Stetten, Dali, Dan Carr, David Bellinger, <clears throat> Don Bellamy, Gary Knight, Jeremy Adams, Jordan Clark, Kai Koenig, Matthew Clemente, Ryan Hughes, Sean Odin, Synaptrix, Brett DeLine, Charlie Earhart, Daniel Garcia, Dula Schnicki, Eric Hoffman, Jan Yannick, Jonas Erickson, Joseph Lamery, Laxma Tiradardi, Mingo Hagen, Scott Steinbeck, Stephen Klotz, and Yogesh Mathor. Um, thank you so much, everyone who is a Patreon supporter. You guys help make our world go round. So with that, thanks for tuning in. Um, Gavin's on vacation for the next 36 years. Just kidding. I don't actually remember what day he comes back, but we'll be back to our normal podcast format soon where I'm at my normal table and not at the beach. Um, but for now, thanks for tuning in and um, sorry, I don't have any pretty outro music for you to listen to since I'm just doing the scaled down version, but thanks a lot for tuning in guys. And I will see you next time. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.